0: My name is Monica Brand Engel. I'm one of the founding partners of Quona Capital, a venture firm for fintech for inclusion.
1: Welcome to the African Tech Roundup, Monica.
0: It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Africa. What do you think when you when you hear that word in in the context of uh, investing on the continent?
0: Enormous market potential, disruptive innovation, blue ocean. I think it's a super exciting market that has been overlooked. Uh, which, for us gives us lots of room to play in, but actually we're really committed to building the ecosystem that's already growing here.
1: And so practically, what does that look like for Kona in terms of how you've acted on that th- those thoughts?
0: So this is our second fund. So Kona is a manager of two funds dedicated to Fintech for the unbanked. Our first fund, we made an investment also here in South Africa called Zona, and Zona is a mobile transactions company that is helping improve the way people send and receive money uh, throughout Africa. Practically, this is our our, invest, our first investment in our new fund, our flagship fund called the Exxon Frontier Inclusion Fund. It's a $141 million uh, oversubscribed fund that is backed by institutional investors, uh, leading institutional investors, so investment banks, insurance companies, a university endowment. They really believe in the potential of Africa, and Yoko is a great example of... Uh, all those forces coming together.
1: And of course, you've just announced um, your, your uh, investing. Would you call it a seed round?
0: It's a series A, technically. So we don't actually do startup investing. We have a sister uh, fund that does the seed. We really are about growth. So we do early stage growth equity, really in companies that have shown potential, maybe aren't profitable yet, but have shown strong product market fit and really show that there is uh, an untapped demand that they want to capitalize on.
1: So you've announced this uh, Series A funding in Yoko. Tell us a little bit about what you identified in Yoko, which is of course a, a, a fintech play based in Cape Town. What have you identified in the team uh, and the business at Yoko that made you, you know, want to invest?
0: So uh, first is the people. So Yoko is run by uh, four entrepreneurs that really are best in class. So our fund. Covers seven countries across the globe. We have countries in Latin America like Brazil and Mexico. In Asia, we invest in India, and we've already done 10 investments, all of them in Latin America and Asia. Yoko is the first investment, and I would put the four uh, founders of Yoko against any of our entrepreneurs. So they're best in class, both in terms of their sophistication, their formation, their analytical ability, and actually, as important to us, their ethics. I mean, these are people who want to build. Real businesses. So, a lot of tech today is what I call serving the 1% problem, and they're serving the 99%. They're serving problems of real people who really want to grow and thrive, and that's what their solution's about. So, that's the primary reason. And the second reason is that they have a really strong business model. So, MPOS, Mobile Point of Sale, was developed, or was revolutionized. The first player was Square, um, the founder of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, uh, and actually uh, went public before it even earned a profit. Uh, and what's amazing about Yoko is that they've been good students really understanding IZL Square, all the leading MPOS players across the globe, and they've improved upon the model. So their model is even stronger in terms of unit economics, in terms of the value proposition for small business. So to me, it's super exciting. It's like the reverse technology transfer. Actually, an innovation and, and improvement happening here in Africa might actually be something that we want to show Western markets.
1: It's interesting you mentioned Jack Dorsey and his success with Square, and then um, I immediately think of his current struggles with Twitter. and And I know uh, you mentioned in the presser that uh, you guys are driven by. Quite frankly, warm and fuzzy values in terms of you, you know uh, what motivates what you want to invest in with this per, with this particular fund. But what might be some of the dangers for putting those kind of values? Um, uh, uh, ahead or allowing those kind of values to motivate uh, business decisions. I mean, if we if we take Jack Dorsey's example of of Twitter, I mean, lots of warm and fun, it happens to be one of my favorite apps. But I I don't know if the business fundamentals for its existence have you know, have been proved just yet. And and in the context of, of, of Africa and us trying to shake off this, this notion that, uh, you know, the world thinks of us as this place where, you know, aid is <laughs> is granted and come and help us. And what are some of the dangers, do you think, of sort of straddling that line between doing things for the right reasons and doing things because of profit-driven reasons?
0: It's a great question. And actually, I would say the field that I'm in, it's called impact investing, suffers from, I would say, more promise than performance. So we, it's very important, and it's why, again, we have Wall Street investment banks, global insurance companies, our investors in the fund that we manage are the corporate of the corporate, and we have to deliver a financial return to them. So your point is critical to us, and why we cannot make Charitable decisions. We are not a philanthropy. We're an investment fund. We're SEC regulated, and we must. And I, I feel great conviction about this because if we fail, if we become yet another story about a poster or our hearts or you know a uh, you know a heartstring versus actually delivering value creation, we will dry up this market. Everyone, all the naysayers will say, "See, you can't do well and do good." So one it's because of the investors and we're on the line. So the Quona founders put our own capital in alongside our investors. So we have our own money, but it's all, but it's much bigger than that. We collectively almost brought the world down in 2007. And we brought the world down and and you can't just blame the Goldman Sachs banker who divided up the mortgage and repackaged it or the Moody's analyst who gave that junk bond a AAA rating. Or even the person in Florida who knew she couldn't afford the house but bought it anyway. So everyone, all, what do all these three people have in common? They separated their head and their heart. They thought they could get away with something. And it's that. And it's the same people who are, you know, why, what's happening in Brexit, the Trump phenomenon. All of these things are about people overlooking what's around them. And so for me, it's very pragmatic. And also it's an imperative that we have to be both profitable and what and build real value so we believe values and value creation can be synonymous they're not a trade-off
1: and so you mentioned uh, you mentioned in the presser uh, that uh you know your funds the biggest fintech fund for that services the unbanked is that correct is it that-
0: yes that's correct globally
1: so what what sort of metrics uh, inform that
0: Uh, In terms of how do I make it? In terms
1: of size, yeah.
0: So, uh, well, in terms of, so we're the largest dedicated private fund. So there are other people who invest along with us. We co-invest with Amityar, with Velocity. There are a lot of other great investors. But there is no other fund that has brought together private capital, institutional capital, in a traditional fund structure focused on fintech for the unbanked. So it's just, so it's, it's empirical. Um, There is another fund, and there are other funds that are smaller and working in different areas, but it's the milestone. And it's actually the kind of capital. We have private institutional capital, um, you know, not just government um, capital. So those are very important milestones. And I think it's a reflection that the market has woken up and said, we can't ignore the 99%.
1: Now, there's a question I I often ask um, overseas investors, uh, VCs, institutional investors, angels. Um, I'm fascinated by uh, what might be the misconceptions about the continent investing here Mm -hmm. that continue to prevail. And um, uh, so, you know, speak to some of them, speak to some of the ones you most commonly encounter about Africa. Mm -hmm. Um, the one that irritates me the most is africa as a country you know or africa's kenya or africa south africa <laughs> oh, oh you know we all speak one language or whatever it is I, I don't know what some of the misconceptions that you encounter quite frequently as an investor here and um and and consequently uh, I'm, I'm particularly interested in the ones that prevent people from thinking of africa as a serious investment destination so, there I went again, thinking of countries in Africa as a serious investment <laughs> destination.
0: So uh, there's a couple of things. Um, first, I just think there is a lack of familiarity. So something that's actually quite troubling for me, there, in the last 90 days, some major institutional investors, some very mainstream venture capitalists, have announced investments in Africa. And they're investments that are driven by uh, entrepreneurs actually living in the U.S. and based in the U.S., um versus entrepreneurs that are based here so and again i know n- um I think those are. it's exciting to have those investors come in.
1: No shade.
0: No shade uh, at all. But I do think people need to spend time in country. Um, I'll give you an example. So 500 Startups is running. They do this initiative called Geeks on a Plane. And they bring um, delegations of folks from Silicon Valley and the U.S. in general interested in that emerging market. I mean, we're helping in terms of curating um, the visits. We're going to Accra, Lagos. Cape Town and Joburg, I think quite informative that there's two country two cities in South Africa that they're targeting. And we really want to help, you know, so we're spending time, you know, helping identify people they can meet because it's important for us that those investment decisions become informed. So the misconception is that Um, that only people living in the U.S. would understand what a Western investor would be looking for. There are a lot of people, I call it the reverse diaspora, who might have gone to school um, in the U.S., you know, done work and actually are coming home because they see a bigger market opportunity here. So that it's really helping, um, I would say, solve the information asymmetry, which is still very big.
1: One of the other things that annoys me is uh, these massive announcements. I mean, uh, some months back there was this major announcement. Uh, I, I can't get to the VC's name at the at the at this point, but I believe it's George Soros backed, and there's this massive amount that's supposed to be making its way to African shores. Um, there's no investment thesis describe. You know, there's there's just news that a George Soros-based initiative is launching what half a billion dollars you know lobbying it at the at the continent and we should all sort of line up you know and it's and i find that quite frustrating um have uh, you know how important is it do you think for um vc interests to 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 not necessarily uh, entirely rely on you know leaning on big name brands uh but take the time to to develop a a sound thesis
0: this is critical so i'll say two things about your very important point number one is we are i think being thesis driven and actually say we have studied the market we have studied data we see trends and we are going to invest along those trends versus again um being very product driven so it's it's like user-centered design The users are the people and businesses in Africa that need capital, and actually deserve capital because they have growing, successful, smart businesses. So One is, I think, spending the time to develop a thesis and actually corroborate it based on being on the ground. The second piece that's very important to us is actually partnering, so we don't come in alone. I'll give you an example. So 4DI is a local investor here in Cape Town that actually got institutional backing, so helping, again, move away from just family money, which is not a problem. But I think helping a market grow, you want to bring and institutional capital, and we, we've co-invested with them. We look at deals together with other local investors because, again, I think that brings in a real a real a complementarity, you know, sort of folks coming in who have strong connections to Silicon Valley and tech trends in the West with people with local knowledge and local understanding of the markets and real needs.
1: And so, you know, two more questions before we have to wrap up. Um, firstly, when was the last time you were surprised um, I want you to think about that a little bit, and um, that 'll be the last question and then um, talk me through wh- you know the practical what you had to see if you can think back to the very first thing you saw about Yoko, mm-hmm. that led to this announcement that you 'd now be investing mm-hmm. like what was the first thing? was it a good email was it a a great pitch deck uh, was it a a recommendation from someone you respected? What was the first thing that made you go, "Wow, maybe Yoko?"
0: So the first thing actually was the team. So you know, I'll be very uh, blunt. Um, most of our entrepreneurs are white men and we love all of our entrepreneurs. But looking at a team that actually is an international team that, again, is based in Africa that comes from the markets we want to serve, it got me noticing. But what really made me look carefully was the data. So they, when they gave our pitch deck they didn't just show me pictures. They actually showed market data, month-on-month growth, real rigor of analysis that said, this is a company that understands its market actually is corroborating its own thesis with um, information that actually, it, that makes us believe it's credible. So I would say that more than anything. Um, the second piece was uh, how much they uh, they spoke with the voice of the customer. So they would Uh, explained features of their product as it relates to needs that were articulated by small businesses in their call centers, from their field agents. So customer-centric and data, for me, are really, really um, indicators that we've got a real business. Um, Yeah.
1: Fantastic. And so to my last question, when was the last time you were surprised, like totally, you know, thrown by something in your field um, as you went day-to-day doing what you do, um, identifying talent, taking meetings, Um, reviewing pitch decks (laughs) you know shaking hands attending conferences (laughs) announcing investments when was the last time you were like boy about something
0: so i think that for me i also suffer sometimes of having um bi biases or subconscious biases so one of the things we're really trying to work on is bringing a you know sort of broader talent pool to bear both as entrepreneurs, but also in our portfolio companies, um, and I was visiting Andela in Nairobi, and they one of their cohorts was a group of women um, who actually were um, both engineers by training and actually had been picked. And I asked them, "How did you end up here? Like, how did you not uh, fall into oh, you should get married young, or that you actually are being encouraged to pursue a career in, in engineering and technology?" um and you know what they said to me was really um i guess surprising because it's so familiar so they said that they had all in all cases the four women i spoke to had had a teacher or a father or someone who had just encouraged them and said you can really uh, you, you're not bound by you know what everyone around you is saying or pressuring you to do, and just having that one—I call it the positive deviant—you know the exception that proves the rule. This notion um, that just that one voice can be such a powerful change agent. So to me, you know, especially you know you know where we see so much red tape and um, and corruption and all the things that people you know you know that uh, are friction for getting things done, that you can that just a, a voice and a belief actually can change that. So that to me is, um, that that's real and somewhere something that we're seeing all over Africa.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much for talking to us, Monica.
0: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure.